Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. The testy relationship between the U.S. and China has a long reach and is having an impact on American farmers. That's because the current trade war and tit-for-tat tariffs have sharply reduced agricultural exports to China. For a discussion on the impact here, I'm joined long distance by Pat Westhoff, Director of the Food and Agricultural Policy Research Institute at the University of Missouri at Columbia. Blake Hurst is a farmer from Atchison County and president of the Missouri Farm Bureau. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Good to have you. Thank you, Evans. Thanks for the opportunity. Blake, let me begin with you. Um, In a very general way, how have Missouri farmers been impacted by this, this trade war? Well... Pat would be. Uh, I'll leave it to Pat to sort out the, uh, the the various causes of what's happened. But what we do know that's happened is about a two dollar or twenty percent drop in the price of soybeans uh, since. And, and two things happened to cause that. One was the announcement of tariffs, the imp- implementation of tariffs, and the second was the realization that uh, that the Midwest was going to raise a lot of soybeans. Uh, so we've got a double whammy, uh, trade problems plus a good crop, so we've got low prices uh, that are below profitable levels. Pat, do you want to pick it up from there? Yeah, I'll say that uh, you know, uh, China has been our number one market for soybeans for quite some time now accounting for something like uh, 60% of total U.S. soybean sales in a typical year. So losing a chunk of that market is a very big deal for the soybean industry. As Blake indicated, uh, the loss of export sales to China is not the only thing affecting the market, but certainly is a large part of the story. Uh, Exports uh, are expected to be down by something like 400 million bushels relative to what was expected earlier, while production is up by over 300 million bushels compared to what was expected uh, before the tariffs were announced. So that combination results in, in a lot of stuff that we haven't been able to sell and much lower prices for soybeans here and around the country. Pat, does anybody ever win a trade war? It is uh, very difficult to come out on the, on the positive side of a trade war, but of course, uh, uh, you know, th- there are definitely strategies one has to entail, you know, has to pursue in order to try to get uh, uh, to the objectives you have. What do you do now, Blake? What do you do now? I mean, you're going to have a surplus. Uh, you're just going to have to, have to um, pardon, no pun intended, eat those in terms of just uh, not being able to sell them. <laughs> well, no, there's always a, the, uh, the thing about uh, commodity markets is there's always a, uh, there's always a price uh, at which uh, somebody will take your, although I guess there have been a few days in this fall where in uh, North Dakota and other places it was hard to find somebody to take your beans. But but we'll be able to sell them. The question is, uh, how much of a loss do we want to take? Uh, and what you'll see is uh, farmers holding very tight to the inventories and uh, just uh, uh, moving their their soybeans as they need cash. So um, and so 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 we will be holding on our farm. We'll be holding on to well after the first year and hope that things get better. Uh, we do have some of them hedged, some of them pre-priced. Uh, and that helps a bit, but um, it, 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 it's a, it's a gamble now whether to hold to hold or sell. And and uh, Pat, I, I have to assume that this uh, same thing is going on uh, elsewhere aside from just Missouri, obviously. Yeah, this is a nationwide issue where, for the U.S. as a whole, we're going to have more soybeans in uh, than we were expecting by far uh, because of combination more production and less sales. So prices have to adjust accordingly, and and lots of farmers are going to choose to store the soybeans in, in the hopes of better times to come. 
We're hearing from the Federal Reserve today and recently that uh, this whole situation is really raising havoc with the stock market. We we just heard a few moments ago that it's down uh, 300 points or so today. Well, I think it's, uh, I mean, this is an economically very risky uh, strategy that we've embarked upon, um, one that we've seen very little um very little positive news from since we started down this road. Uh, I read a headline this morning that uh, some some congressmen and women from both uh, both parties are are pointing out what they see as flaws in the uh, in the newly renegotiated uh, USMCA, formerly known as NAFTA treaty. Treaty. So it's not certain that that'll get through the House. Um, and, and, and just. Uh, a tremendous amount of uncertainty that's been caused for you know our members out in uh, in rural Missouri, and it's going to spread uh, because if we're not selling those soybeans, we don't have cash to make a to uh, to buy a buy a combine. And oh, by the way, uh, the price of that combine's gone up several percent because of steel tariffs. So uh, it's hitting farmers from both directions. How long can you sustain a situation like this? Well, that uh, again, Pat would have a better, I think, grasp for the overall picture. That depends on the farm. Um, if the farm uh, isn't carrying much debt and is secure in their, um, you know, in their ability to hold on to the farmland they're farming, they can last a very long time. Uh, if you're operating a little closer to the financial edge with a little more leverage, a little more borrowed money, uh, basically, if you're younger. Um, this can't go on much longer without some real consequences. And I'd be interested, Pat, I'm sure, has a better feel for that, but but I'd be interested in what he thinks. Go ahead, Pat. Yeah, so we're in a situation where national net farm income is roughly half the level it was at the peak in, uh, in 2013. And this is just one small piece of the puzzle. If you look at just corn and soybeans themselves and take current estimates of production and current estimates of prices, it turns out that we probably aren't going to be reducing overall revenue for the average U.S. corn and soybean producer that much in 2018. In fact, it could even conceivably be up by the time we consider some payments that are occurring. That is not true here in Missouri, however, especially in Blake's part of the, of the state, where reduced yields have, have uh, uh, you know, given a very different story here in Missouri than be the case nationally, where the country as a whole is going to have record yields this year. Here in Missouri for corn in particular, but also to some extent for soybeans, Yields are off of the, the good yields we had last year. Well, the, the Chinese have options, too. I mean, they could, uh, uh, they could continue this thing for a good long while if they chose to. They have, they have other sources for soybeans, don't they, Pat? Right. So we've seen a big rearrangement already of, of world trading patterns in soybeans. So we're selling far fewer soybeans to China this year than we did a year ago. Uh, they're filling that market with Brazilian, Argentine, Paraguay, and other countries' soybeans this year as best they can. Uh, and also they're reducing the domestic consumption by changing the amount of uh, soybean meal they include in their feed rations uh, to, to livestock in that country. Uh, the other thing that's happening, though, of course, because of the lower U.S. prices and higher prices in South America, is we've actually been able to backfill in some other markets. So while our sales to China are down dramatically, we have seen some increase in sales to other countries that buy soybeans. That's helped, but hasn't cured the problem. Blake, how, how quickly can you turn things around in, in the sense that, okay, I won't just plant soybeans next year. I'll do something else. Well, I think the uh, we're seeing forecasts of an increase in corn plantings, uh, which is less corn uh, is much less dependent on international trade 
than our soybeans. Uh, but you know, farmers are, are basically locked into, um, in, in most of Missouri, uh, this, the exception would be the Bootheel, where they have some other alternative crops. Uh, we're basically locked into a corn-soybean rotation. In my part of Missouri, uh, you get a little further south, you have the ability to add wheat to that um, wheat to that because of a longer season. You have the ability to add wheat to that rotation. So there's not a whole lot I can do uh, as far as crop mix uh, and to respond to this. So so you're going to, uh, I think, see some marginal acres probably go out of production, not so much in Missouri, but uh, I would not want to be looking at my cash flow in North Dakota right now because all of their soybeans um, were exported uh, out of the Pacific Coast, and uh, so, so this 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 rearrangement of exports that Pat was talking about has been harmful, more harmful for people that depend on uh, Pacific ports than than those of us that depend on the Gulf Coast. So um, the, there, there's going to be some acres I think go out of production that just aren't going to be competitive anymore. Uh, Pat, I think we should point out too that soybeans certainly are a key uh, ingredient in this uh, in this discussion. But uh, the Chinese are pretty big customers for other agricultural goods too. Pork, for instance, I understand is a big item for the Chinese. Yeah, uh, Chinese pork consumption dwarfs that in any other country in the world. In fact, half of the world's pigs live in China. <laughs> uh, so what happens with pork trade in China is a really, really big deal. And yes, they're they're buying less pork uh, from us this year because of those tariffs. Uh, that's you know reduced our sales from what they would otherwise have been. This is happening at a time where we have you know, large sales of of pork in this country just because of where we're at in terms of our cycle of production. So that's put downward pressure on, on pork prices here in this country. And other uh, other products, agricultural products? Yeah, the, some of the other ones that have been affected include cotton, some dairy products, and, and a few other commodities as well. Uh, I would point out, you know, the soybeans accounts for 58% of our export sales to China on average over the last eight years. So it is far the dominant commodity. But yes, uh, everything from those, from uh, you know, from cotton to uh, to corn is also affected to some degree. Why are the Chinese so dependent? Uh, can't they grow soybeans? They could. In fact, uh, soybean production started in China uh, you know, a long, long time ago. Uh, and China was roughly self-sufficient in soybeans as recently as about 1990. Uh, since that time, though, they made a strategic choice that they wanted to maintain self-sufficiency as best they could in grain production. So in the case of corn, in the case of wheat, in the case of rice, uh, they continue to produce most of those grains that they consume domestically. But they decided that importing soybeans is okay. And uh, they went from, again, being roughly self-sufficient to being the dominant world importer today. Blake, are you totally dependent on, on a soybean crop? What else do you What else do you grow? Corn, we, have, um, we grow corn and soybeans. You know, we have a very traditional Midwestern farm. So, um, and, you know, obviously when corn and soybeans are, are substitutes, uh, when the soybean market drops, that's going to drive down the price of corn in time as people switch to corn, and we can't we can't escape it. It's not like they're uh, not very closely connected. And another thing that's happening in China, which is really a big concern, is they've got some uh, disease in their uh, pork herd, uh, which may mean that the numbers of pigs there are going to decline as well. So they may uh, that's going to hurt overall soybean demand as well. Yeah. So it's it's a scary time. 
It certainly sounds it. I want to come back and talk about how Uncle Sam may or may not um, help you through all of this. We'll do that in just a moment. We are talking about the trade war between the United States and China and how it is impacting farmers in this country. My guests, Pat Westhoff from the University of Missouri and Blake Hurst, president of the Missouri Farm Bureau. Back to continue this discussion in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWM. Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast supported by University College at Washington University with undergraduate and graduate programs part-time evening and online. University College at Washington University offering world-class education within reach. Welcome back to our conversation on how the trade war between the U.S. and China is impacting Missouri farmers. Blake, I'll come back to you. Um, what kind of help are you hearing about from uh, from Uncle Sam? Well, the uh, uh, USDA has announced a, uh, a, a trade adjustment program, trade 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 program uh, with a total cost, I guess, of twelve billion dollars. Um, we uh, have not uh, applied for it, as we were uh, discussing offline earlier. You're not eligible until you're done with harvest, and we are not because of all the snow we've had in northern Missouri. That will help some, um, but it's certainly short-term. And and it's, uh, you know, I think particularly the dairy industry uh, feels that it does not uh, very come very close to, to capturing the harm they've had from this, this trade trade disruption. Uh, it is a very, very poor substitute for um, the markets we had a year ago. Pat, how would that work? I mean, those subsidies, once the harvest is completed, uh, how does it, how is it determined what farmer gets what? So the payments are set by USDA based on a calculation of how much the lost sales would have been to China and other markets that have imposed the tariffs. So in the case of soybeans, the uh, the payment rate is $1.65 cents per bushel, and the initial payment that's being made uh, now is uh, 50% of that amount. Uh, so on half of your production, you get a buck 65. Uh, USD estimated to be about $3.6 billion for the country as a whole. Uh, here in Missouri, we estimate something like $200 million in payments under this first round. Uh, there's also payments available for hogs, cotton, sorghum, dairy products, wheat, and corn, but those are much smaller in magnitude. And Blake, uh, give me those numbers again. How does a buck sixty-five match what you would ordinarily expect to get for your crop? Well, it certainly will help. Uh, the problem for Missourians uh, is, you know, at any, any given time, I had mentioned earlier that we had uh, hedged part of this year's crop. At any given time, I'm marketing three years' crop. In other words, I'm selling what is growing in the field, pre-selling it. I'm selling the bushels that I kept from the year before that I gambled with, some small percentage of my crop. And I'm also going out in the future. We've already got crops sold for 2019 year. So they decided, the USDA decided to base it off of this year's yield. Uh, that's been very unfair to Missouri because our yields are very, very low. Uh, so, so it's not, even though the point I was making is, even though the tariffs have hurt my returns from at least three years' crops, uh, the, the the government payments are being based on one, which is a good deal for uh, most of the Midwest that's that's uh, enjoying tremendous and almost record yields. Uh, not such a good deal for Missouri, particularly North Missouri, where we had a very bad uh, and very localized drought. 
Yeah, drought, another part of the problem, obviously, for farmers. But here's the one thing, Blake, that I don't get, though. I don't quite grasp it. And that is, if you're, if you're uh, selling soybeans, uh, make, taking orders, if you will, for 2019, how do you set the price for that? Well, I mean, I, the price is set by the market. I, I make the decision whether I think it's going to be, um, you know, whether it's a good price for me or for our operation. In other words, I'll try to both, you know, obviously think about my cost of production, but I also think about what I think the future will hold. And if I'm, uh, even if it's below my cost of production, if I'm pessimistic, if uh, if uh, Pat's organization gives me a poor forecast of, that says the price is going to be weaker out in the future, I may sell at a price that's below my cost of production because I believe it will be better uh, than the price six months or a year from now when I'm harvesting that grain. So, so it's a, you know it's a, it's it's a a lot of thinking goes into it, but it's basically our best guess at what's a good uh, what's a good strategy. So we tend to spread it out. But in other words, we'll sell some of the next year's crop this year, some ne- some next year, and some in 2020 uh, after the first of the year uh, in order to just sort of get a good good average of what the price is and not try to not try to pick the highs or the lows because it's almost impossible to do. So so the prices obviously don't get set in advance. They will whatever the market is bearing at the uh, at that time 2019-2020, that's when the price will be set. Well, the price no, the price is set right now. I can look at the futures price uh, for March of 2019 because I just did, uh, and, and 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 there's a number there, and then I can and then I can sell at that price. Uh, I'll have to. I'm taking a gamble on what the difference uh, when I deliver the grain. There will be a, a a basis, a difference between that futures the futures price and the price that I receive at the elevator. Uh, so I, I I I'm not locking in that price, but yeah, I'm certainly locking in the price. Uh, buyers like to buy ahead of time in order to protect themselves from a spike upward in prices. Uh, farmers and elevators sell ahead of the time in order to protect themselves uh, from a you know from a drop in prices. Pat, Mississippi gamblers, Mississippi River gamblers don't have anything on farmers, do they? No, that's certainly true. That's why I'm glad to be doing my job instead of Blake's job. Uh, we do these projections, and we'll be the first to tell you we never know for sure what's really going to happen. One of the things we were struggling with this past week as we were trying to do our next set of projections for the farm economy was trying to decide what we wanted to assume. So we tend to assume current policies remain in place. So and that means in our case that we continue uh, in current uh, 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 trade restrictions indefinitely into the future. If that's actually what happens, uh, you know, prices in the market today might well be lower in front of us. If, on the other hand, uh, some of the rumors that have been bandied about recently were to come about and we actually had a resolution, prices could rebound. That's why futures markets re- respond to presidential tweets in recent days. What is all of this, speaking of presidential tweets, what is all of this uh, likely to do politically? Do you have any sense of that? And, Blake, I'll start with you. You know, we, we read an awful lot about uh, the growers in this country generally support President Trump, but they're being hurt now by his policies. I think that's a very interesting question. I did um, had any number of phone calls and visits, actually, before the election from various journalists. And as you know, we, you know the senatorial race was uh, uh, the, the eventual winner. Uh, Josh Hawley stayed pretty close to the president, and that would, the journalists would ask, "Well, look, you farmers, uh, you farmers voted for, for 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 Trump, and now he's done this thing that has hurt you." and and is it going to hurt? Uh, you know, what's it going to mean in the midterms? 
on my answer was I think that farmers will be pretty strong in their support uh, for Josh Hawley, and they were. Uh, is that forever going to be true? Uh, I think not. I mean, I think I think people have some patience. They're willing to uh, uh, willing to endure a little pain with the hope of something better. But uh, we do need some resolution, and I think there is a point at which uh, it starts having real uh, political uh, political effects. I really do. Pat, your take? Um, I don't pretend to know, but I certainly uh, agree with what Blake just said. I do think farmers are hopeful that when this is all, if and when this is all resolved. They may come out uh, you know, looking good, uh, but we'll see what actually happens in reality. Well, there was a meeting between Vice President Pence and the Chinese leadership in uh, Papua New Guinea uh, just over the last couple of days, and apparently uh, there, w- there wasn't uh, much affection <laughs> shown between those two gentlemen uh, during their meeting. Yeah, and that's why I was saying uh, if, if you look at uh, how the price of soybeans changes today, you know, there's lots of factors, of course, but one is uh, people's subjective probabilities of this all being resolved in a way. That lets us uh, resume our export sales. Uh, we've got a caller who wants to get into this part of the conversation. We'll bring him in before we uh, end our discussion. Let's uh, bring in Ken from Baldwin. Ken, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Hi, Don. Thanks. Enjoy your show. Great. I, I got no sympathy for farmers uh, who find themselves in this position. They voted for Donald Trump, and Donald Trump is about Donald Trump, not about you. And so if, if you think that we, the taxpayers, should help you, out in this situation, ask Donald Trump to take it out of his wealth and pay you back. This, this is this is not. If you people, if you, the people who live in Missouri would please stop voting for Republicans who have their best interests and not yours at at heart, you'd be a little better off, and you wouldn't be in this situation. Ken, Ken, thank you for the call. I didn't want this to get political. I'd ha- we have to bring it into the conversation, but. Um, Blake, would you want to respond to that? Or, or oh, sure, sure, he seemed nice. Um, the, the, the challenge for farmers uh, going into the race, uh, going into the 2016 was election, was that both uh, candidates had expressed um, reservations about trade. Uh, both of them were against the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement, which would uh, still be a good thing for us to do. Uh, so we had, we had a little bit of a quandary when it came to trade. Uh, and we're seeing that playing out again as we look at the uh, some of the new chairmen uh, in the House of Representatives uh, are not the least bit interested in uh, increased agriculture trade. Uh, we've made a very large uh, – the, the, the question has to be um, whether President Trump is truly trying to get a better relationship with China, a more fair relationship, in which case, well, good, you know, I hope it works. Uh, if you believe some of his tweets – uh, which seem to be very, very distrustful of any kind of trade agreement and very concentrated on uh, trade imbalances in between particular countries, which aren't, aren't I don't think, very important in the long run, uh, then agriculture is in a great deal of, uh, a great deal of jeopardy. Yeah. So we have, to, we have to get the answer to that question. But if it is a total, uh, a total antipathy toward trade, uh, we're, we're, we are definitely uh, got something that we need to worry about because uh, because agriculture is an industry that depends on markets all around the world, not here, just here in the U.S. Pat, do you want to respond and add to that? No, I think I'll just add, though, that again, because of some of those political sensitivities, that's why this compensation program was put in place. Uh, and so, again, that will provide at least some relief to, to farmers affected by the current trade disputes. 
Is there anything we can do domestically? My final question to you, gentlemen. Anything we can do domestically with those of us in, in urban areas or, or anywhere that would be of uh, help and support to the farmers? Blake? Um, well, I you know enjoy your uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving dinner and the bounty <laughs> that uh, you have there, and you know trade really is um, a benefit to all of us, and uh, if if nothing else, uh, it's it's not sometimes very politically popular uh, with either party. Um, nothing else, maybe we've learned or are in the process of learning, relearning a lesson that's very important. Pat, final thought. No, I think that, that pretty much sums it up. We have to remember that uh, when we sit down to that Thanksgiving dinner table, where all that food came from. <laughs> it came from a, a farm, right? There you go. For the most part. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Uh, best of luck to you, Blake, with uh, what you're facing, and I hope it works out for you. And Pat Westhoff, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Pat's with the uh, University of Missouri. Blake Hurst is a farmer and president of the Missouri Farm Bureau. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.